Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight, and joining me from across the pond is a man who I always listen to what he said. It's John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How are you, sir? I am doing very well, sir. How are you this afternoon? Uh, I, I'm doing well, and it's it's almost the afternoon for both of us. It, this is a, you know, we're through the looking glass here, people. We usually record on a different night. However, there's a little thing called Turkey Day coming up, I believe, or th- Thanksgiving weekend. John is better at me than describing what's going on. So we moved our date and we moved our time, and it feels like it feels like a matinee performance, doesn't it, tonight? Yeah, it's it's a little earlier than usual. Um, I'm on Thanksgiving vacation, which That's I guess it. for you, you guys have like the uh, the fall break kind of thing, right? Like you had yeah, like week, a month ago off during the during Easter, during uh, fall, autumn. Yep. So we have uh, some schools actually have classes on Monday and Tuesday. Most schools have switched to like full week off, though. Uh, we were worried this year we were going to have to give up one of our uh, like Monday or Tuesday because of the hurricane days that we've had. Um, but uh, they didn't do that as of now. I mean, we won't do it for this holiday, but we might lose those days somewhere else. But um, so I've been off uh, since Friday um, on Thanksgiving break. Thanksgiving, the holiday, though, is on Thursday, which is when we've been recording. And uh, that's, you know, for some, if they have like big families, they might travel. It's just it's just dinner or some like we say dinner, but like a lot of times it's like a early, like we eat at like 12 or one o'clock mm-hmm. um, big, you know, big turkey, mashed potato stuffing. Oh, it's it, way too much food. Uh, supposedly celebrating the uh, sit down <laughs> with pilgrims and native oh, Americans. Um, y- yeah. You know uh, it, it's, I think historically a little inaccurate about how peaceful that uh, uh, event may <laughs> have been. Um, John, it, it sounds like the prelude to Christmas to me. It It is. It's a, it's like a Christmas warm up. Um, for many though, of course, my, like we've had our Christmas decorations up. So like we don't really decorate for Thanksgiving and we have a very tight knit group at this point where it's mostly just my wife and I, and then our daughter and uh, her boyfriend. Um, and our tradition for the last several years, except for the, the last two, in fact, because of the pandemic, um, we've been going to a thing called ice. Uh, yes, I remember seeing the pictures. Yeah, and I think that's our plan for Thursday. Um, is I, I forget what theme they went with, but it's one that I think we were excited about. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, oh, you know, there's these big ice sculptures, and you're in this room that's like zero degrees, which for a Floridian, uh, big deal because it's the coldest you could possibly have it. Um, here Summer, we never get anything. Me, uh, yes, of course. Well, zero degrees Fahrenheit. Um, but uh, <laughs> they give you like a big parka, and you're supposed to wear, um, you know like warm pants or whatever, but they give you a big, uh, like a much warmer Parker than anything a Floridian would probably own. Unless you're a Floridian that travels, we are not. So um, that's, that's kind of what our day is going to be like. Why it, uh, I was like, Ooh, I probably shouldn't record on the holiday. Cause I don't know when I'll be available kind of thing. So no, no, it's fine by me, my friend, the bloody isom. No, can I also movie podcast. Mm. Can I get, I probably can't get away with that. Um, I remember you sending the pictures last year or the year before um, whenever it wasn't, affected by covid of ice yeah. oh man it looks really really cool and i don't know i love you know i, I love getting together with family just eating a lot so something like thanksgiving so close to christmas and you've got something like that to do on the actual day itself to kind of elongate the celebration or the um or that kind of good time feeling oh man it sounds great i'll tell you what i'm doing thursday john i i'm going to work but ah. you know 
like I said, I, well, I, I, that's the thing is I don't really get, I don't get a week off during the fall or the, or the Easter period. The kids do from school. I don't, but, um, I usually take that week off so I can, um, hang with my daughter. But, um, yeah, I'll be at work this Thursday. So I will ask you on air. Please send pictures of your meal, <laughs> please, oh. to warm up my day. Well, our, we're keeping it simple this year uh, because it is just the four of us. Um, so I, I don't even know if we're cooking. I think we might just be looking to like pick a oh, nice. restaurant that didn't close. But I will. I'll still send pictures. It just won't be as, as spectacular as it could have been. Um, probably. Who knows? I don't know where we're going to end up eating. Um, but I, I'm open for all sorts of food. Uh, it's been a it's a busy week um, with mm-hmm. movie going because I'm trying to get everything caught up for the uh, FYC stuff. Because our yes. we have to vote for the CACF uh, here in a couple of weeks. I think like December fifteenth or something is our deadline. So it's really close. Yeah. No, it's he- award season's heating up, my friend. And to to perfectly seeg into our film tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about a film which is gunning for some Oscar nominations, or at least it certainly was pre-release. Let's see if it is now that we've seen it. And tonight we are talking about she said. It is the uh, new movie directed by Maria Schrader and written by Rebecca Lenkovitz. And it stars Carrie Mulligan as Megan Tui. I always never get the name right. And Zoe Kazan as Jodie Cantor. The two journalists involved in the Harvey Weinstein uh, investigation that eventually brought him down. Uh, Patricia Clarkson as Rebecca Corbett, Andre Brower as Dean Backett, Jennifer Ayler as Laura Madden, Samantha Morton as Zelda Perkins, Ashley Judd. She's Ashley Judd as herself, Sean Cullens, Lance Marov, and Angela Yeo as Rowena Chu. Uh, and as mentioned, the synopsis, we're not going to give, well, I'll mention that in a minute about our spoiler policy, but um, the synopsis reads, New York Times reporters Megan Toey and Jody Cantor break one of the most important stories in a generation, a story that helped ignite a movement and shattered decades of silence around a subject of sexual assault in Hollywood. Uh, and usually we have a non-spoiler main episode and then we, we hit you up with a spoiler episode on Monday, a little mini-sode, but we're not going to be doing that this time because this film is pretty much just an um, a beat for beat adaptation dramatize it's not even a dramatization of what happened I- I- in reality within a- over the last four or five years of the hashtag me too movement so everything we're going to talk about is everything that's been documented and factually correct from you know, from this film and also from the uh, new york times and the washington post stories um now i mentioned it was gunning for awards season how is it doing with fans and, and critics alike Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score is 88% and 82% for, uh, with an audience score. So very healthy over on the tomato meter. Metascore has this at 73. Again, very, very solid. IMDb uh, user score is 7.3 out of 10. And the letterbox score is 3.6 out of 5. Now, she said is only available in theatres as of now. So if you want to go and watch it, you're going to have to get off your backsides, if it's safe to do so, and go check it out over this Thanksgiving weekend. Um, now, like we said, we're not going to have a spoiler episode. Instead, we're just going to talk about the film, what happens in it, because it's everything that happened in reality. And uh, in keeping with the actual re- real-life story of the Harvey Weinstein scandal, um, the film 
The film actually, I mean, I, I thought the film's good. I liked it. I, I didn't love it. I think the film's good. It feels a bit inert uh, after a while because it can't take chances. It can't really show any flourishes. It can't take liberties with this story. It is very much just, this is what happened. Here we are bringing it to the screen, which when I, when I was watching it, I did think, JB, I did kind of think, you know, what what is the point of this? Not because it's a story that, that it's not a story that doesn't need telling because it's an extremely important story. And <coughs> hopefully it's going to start to break down the doors uh, in Hollywood or just in, you know, professionalism or personal in public life for, for women around the world. But it's, 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 it's a recounting of the true story. It's a, it's a very mm-hmm. neat retelling of what happens with a few kind of deviations where we find out a little bit more about the two journalists life in terms of how they were, you know, where they were within themselves at this moment, um, in terms of their mental state and in terms of their relationship with uh, husband and family, we kind of touch upon that, but not very much. Um, a lot of the film is spent obviously with Megan and Jody, which I think both of those two actresses, Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan. I know you're also a fan of Zoe Kazan. I think she's great. Carrie yep. Mulligan's very good here and they are both very good. I just couldn't get past. I'm gonna, I, I may get lambasted for this, but I felt like the film was trying to push them too much, you know, as these kind of beacons, like these, icons as such basically like look at you know the shining stars of the film these two and i thought i didn't it didn't that bit didn't feel as genuine as let's say later on in the film or during the film when we get moments from uh samantha morton when she plays zelda perkins who's a former employee of miramax who has to tell her story or jennifer ayla who plays laura madden who has to tell her story those two sold a show for me I thought they were superb in supporting roles and actually added so much more flavour. So they were made the film a lot more effective because I thought that she said was a little bit by numbers. I know it's been compared to all the president's men and spotlights and all these other things. The difference is those films, they had a, they had a, you know, a pulse that went above resting. And I don't mean to sound very negative because I did enjoy this film but I think it was hamstrung by the fact that it couldn't really do an awful lot other than what it could do. It was those other films, you know, they went, uh, they, they showed a little bit more spark and a little bit more flair. This, there is another story. I mean, I know they mentioned Ronan Farrow in this film. I actually think his story, and I don't mean to negate the impact of Jodie and, um, uh, yeah, Megan's story. But Ronan Farrow's one is actually a more a film which you could actually look at and think, yeah, we could. Sorry, not a film is a story we could actually make a film about in terms of showing the kind of explosive way they brought this monster down. But yeah, Ronan Farrow has got so much backstory to him, so much baggage almost, and how he went about getting a story. And it, there was, in terms of a film adaptation, that's a lot more interesting, right there. I just think the problem with She Said, John, is that it's not a bad film whatsoever. It just doesn't really go out of its way to show anything other than what we already know. It's a, it's a bit too long. The performances are good. I'll say, I'll say that. I think the performances across the board are good. I think the supporting uh, roles are, are really very good. But I don't know. that. I, th- I, th- I think in, in doing this film, I think Schrader, for me, focused on there are certain things that she shouldn't have done maybe in terms of 
what was the strengths and weaknesses of the film. There were too many just telephone conversations back and forth on a speakerphone and, it, and it, you know, there's too many scenes in the, in the, um, uh, newsroom, which I think it, it wasn't an exciting film for a film, which is bringing down one of the most awful people in the, in film history. There was no kind of atmosphere. There's no tension building up because we knew what happened and it's such a recent case, JB, that mm. there wasn't really anything that to be surprised by. That said, John, I liked it. I really did. I know I'm sounding a little bit negative, but only because I, I think it's a good film. I think it's a bit by numbers. I think it's it didn't really offer anything new that we didn't know, or it's in the in this kind of niche genre. I think there's a lot. There's films out there that did their film that did that took their stories and made them an awful lot more compelling. However, it's a very important story that needs to be told, and I'm. I think we're better off having it. I just think we could have done a little bit more with it, but I, I did enjoy it though, JB. It's definitely getting a thumbs up from me, but what about yourself? Um, I've seen this now twice. I saw it at the uh, Miami internet, sorry, Miami film festival gems yep. um, a couple weeks ago and then uh, decided to see it again um, before recording. Like I saw it on Saturday just to refresh my memory. Cause it's been a couple of weeks. Um, now, I actually uh, had a weird experience at my local theater when I saw it because halfway through the movie, the lights came on um, and I went to complain after I waited a couple minutes to see if they would fix it. I thought maybe something happened, mm-hmm. went and complained and was told it's some kind of glitch with like the automated system and they didn't know how to fix it. So I got to see the rest of the movie with the lights on uh, the hey, second um, time, at least. We had a problem with the glass uh, onion screen, didn't you? Uh, the glass onion screening, the, uh, the screen was a different theater, but, um, the, the, uh, it was off the the actual screen, like on the edges. So the framing was bad. So yeah, I've had some weird experiences the last couple of weeks, um, with, with (laughs) screenings, but, um, that's no fault to the film. Uh, I do, I agree with almost everything you said. I actually read, uh, two reviews, um, from, uh, critics that I, I like a lot. Christy Puchko, um, has a really great review where she, she gives it a positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately he says that the, uh, k- kind of what you said, that the two main characters are maybe too polished. They're too neat. They're too, uh, golden God almost. They're, they're treated mm-hmm. as if they can do no wrong. They're not I really they shown have to have dove into their personal lives or their, not their struggles a bit more, but you know, what did it take for them to get this story as well? Cause we, well, sorry to interject. Well, obviously we, we see them their struggles we see you know a lot of things that happen in other films witnesses you don't want to come to the stand blah blah i think they could have maybe injected a bit more of you know what it what toll it took on them to unleash this story yeah and um i'm gonna get it's esther i'm gonna mess up her name i'm trying to um look up her article but uh was negative on it overall but had very similar things to say um and I mean, I should know Esther's last name because she's like a regular on blank check, but, um, <laughs> come on, John, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna be able to find it right away. So I will get there. Uh, I will get there at some point, but nevertheless, um, I, I, when I saw it at first, I, I was three stars. Um, and I am, I'm a journalist and I, this movies about journalists often, uh, really resonate with me. And so I was like, you know, I went in very excited and hopeful that this was going to be another like, wow. Um, and I will say I, I am really, really love Carrie Mulligan's performance in this mm-hmm. film. I, I think, uh, I think she's been underappreciated throughout her career. Yeah. I think she always brings so much. And my I favorite agree. scene in this film is her with the lawyer, um, 
and there's like a it's like a mental chess like she asks a question he answers the question mm-hmm. and it's back and forth and back and forth and you can see the moment where her character megan wins the argument um on her face this is this little mm-hmm. knowing smile that she's got him cornered and that now you know she he has to give her what she's looking for and as a journalist, I love that type of scene. I think those scenes are really powerful. This, uh, knowing how to, that she's smart, you know, that she's capable of getting, um, moments. And I think, uh, you know, there's, there's the movies doing like a women united type theme, which these two women reporters who are investigating sexual, uh, assault and abuse in the workplace specifically, but then targeting the Hollywood and then specifically targeting Harvey Weinstein. Um, where like there's a scene where they go to the bar and the, this guy is really obnoxiously coming on to them and starts to say what might be one of the most horrific sentences a person could say to somebody, oh. but she like cuts him off and like you know cusses him out. It it's not a great scene. Um, it's not a bad scene. I don't think there's like a bad performance. It just feels like like I I know that guys do stuff like that. Yeah. I it it blows my mind personally. Like I I just can't understand how any person can be so deluded that they feel like they are owed something because someone tried to talk to you. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't understand that at all. Um, I, but I do know it happens. Like I'm not unaware of it. I'm not sitting here going, "Oh, it seems too fake." Because I would never do that. Like I get that I would never do it. Doesn't mean other people wouldn't. It still feels a little much in the moment, though. Like it's like. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I get like they are investigating this and this still happens to them or that there's, you know, people uh, expect because they're women. Like, I know it's still a problem, but in the movie, especially when you're pointing out that it does feel long at times like that scene, it's like, well, what, what's what's the real point of that scene? Yeah. Like, because nothing they don't you don't stay there after she yells at the guy, the guy, she apologizes and then she says, don't apologize. And then the scene's over. And I feel like that happens a lot in this movie where like the scenes feel very disconnected. Um, especially I didn't notice that the first time it was the second time I was watching it where I'm like, man, these feel like little vignettes that were just like piecing together, um, the process. And then there's some scenes that are like really troubling as a reporter. Um, Mm -hmm. one in particular, uh, Jody, Zoe's character goes to talk to Rowena, um, who is one of the women who, uh, you know, was uh, attacked by Harvey Weinstein and she wants the story. And when she gets to her house, uninvited mind you because that's the they're they're trying hard to make these people talk um which of course there's i'll get into this in a second but uh the husband's there and he knows nothing about it and she reveals a lot of information on the husband and assuming that actually happened that's problematic ethically as a journalist anyways that you like you know because it really seemed like she was manipulating the situation at first but then she looks so upset and devastated by how upset and devastated he was that she it seems like maybe that wasn't her intention but it's like mm, come on like i th- I feel like that's kind of common sense that like if, if a if it's a sexual nature and you like you tell you can't assume that she's told anybody like she's clearly not wanting to talk about it so why would you assume Discretion that the husband has information why do you think yeah yeah, and, and yes, exactly, especially if you're trying to earn the trust of these people. And that's where um, Big Tuna uh, was the most upset about this movie. And I haven't seen this anywhere else, and that's why I, I went looking for uh, female critics and their takes on this movie. Um, 
because whenever you start um, implying that you were victimized and it is now your obligation to come out and talk about it so that we can prevent this from happening to other people, it does, it's a slippery slope. And the movie, I didn't feel that the movie is doing it disservice and i felt like the two journalists went they're depicted as being very respectful they honor their claims that we won't we won't use your name if you don't want to you'll keep you off the record they don't do anything shady in the movie i don't know i haven't done any digging to see if they did anything shady outside of in real life but it doesn't seem like it. this movie definitely doesn't want to paint that picture um but uh Tuna felt like there was a lot of, you know, manipulation. And I I think that's a take that is worth noting. And as a journalist, I'm always, I always am championing the idea that it's journalists job to find the information, to make sure the public is aware that these things are happening and to, to reveal. And I thought they did a good job of like keeping them out. But one of the awkward things as a film goes, because so many of the people who accuse Weinstein are celebrities that we, the audience are familiar with. They didn't, want to recast or they didn't want to cast an actor to play an actor. Like um, some names that come up, uh, Rose McGowan, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes, especially. And and there's one other big name and then Ashley Judd, but Ashley Judd actually is in the movie as herself. Um, But like uh, Rose McGowan, they have a voice actress uh, doing her on the phone. But every time we're supposed to see, like there are some awkward scenes where Jodie is just like flipping through pictures on her phone of Rose McGowan. It's like, would she have done that? Do, you, do we really believe that she was just like looking through photos? Like she's Very old. And they also seem like they were saved on her phone. Like she didn't just like Google image. Like, like, and again, it's Rose McGowan. She's pretty famous. Like, I wouldn't say she's like, I, I could see some people who aren't as like obsessed with movies may not know who she is. No. But I mean, probably have a pretty good clue. You might have to like refresh your memory, I suppose. It's, you know. But um, but Gwyneth Paltrow a few pretty big things, and the Gwyneth Paltrow kind of smash cut, hard cut away. I found quite pretty jarring as well. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things. It's a hard decision as a filmmaker. I think what do you do there? Um, you know, when you look at like the post or all the president's men or um, uh, spotlight, the people that they are bringing down for the most part. I mean, all the president's men. It's it's Nixon, but you know, other than that, like um, they're bringing down people that aren't iconic for their image where actors are iconic for their image it's what we know them as is this this is who you are so i i do think this movie had that against them uh inherently like how do you do you recast because especially do you recast or not recast i'm sorry do you cast someone to play an actor or actress who is very relevant still who is would they want to be portrayed by someone else or even in the film to that extent and so and then so you get some weird shots of like where we just see their names in the article being mentioned and things like that instead of getting to see the people and there's a separation of of the people who are are uh the victims which you know in some cases could be a better choice in other cases it could hurt the storytelling and i'm not sure if that's maybe part of the issue here um because some of the best scenes in this film are like you said with Jennifer uh, Ely playing Laura, Laura Madden or I think that's um, the best scene in the film. Yeah, like those scenes are so emotional, they're so powerful, yeah, powerful and they, yeah. Yeah, and they're they're just dialogue based for the most part. I mean, some of them are intercut with flashbacks. Uh I think one of the most troubling to deal with scenes, but I think an important one is when you, uh I I think it's supposed to be like a police uh recording um 
of a, a girl like she was wired and went to Harvey Weinstein's room. And so you're, I, I don't know if it's the actual tape or if it's a recreation that we're hearing in the movie, but it's like Harvey and this woman speaking. And all we see is the hallway of a hotel while we're listening. And we have uh, the captions on the screen to help us uh, with the dialogue. And it's, it's so intense and it's so scary. And it, it's, it really makes you aware of, of how gross of a person Harvey Weinstein is. I don't even Ugh. like giving him the label person at this point. Um, Monster. Be, it, it's like scenes like that are so powerful that some of the other stuff feels disconnected or, um, well, they, they drag the movie to a halt at times. And so I don't like, like you said, it sounds like we're being overly negative. I, I think this one, I think it's a story that if you don't know, you should know. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. there's, Critical. there's, an essential element to this film just existing. Um, I think the performances are good. I really, really like Carrie Mulligan. I think Zoe does good work, but her character is, I think a little more boring um, in general. Um, mm-hmm. And in, in some ways I was very grateful that the, uh, the, their like marriage lives never have like the big melodramatic breakdown moment that I, they kind of feel like they're setting up early because like, there's clearly some tension at home. Um, and I'm glad that they don't go that route. And uh, yet it still does feel like there, maybe it's a little too polished um, overall, which was Christy Puchko's big complaint was that the film's fine, but it feels too clean for a, a story that's so not, you know? Yeah, um, good point. Very good point. And that's like, if you like all the president's men, there's this uh, sense of like fear and they try to instill that here, that they're in danger, that they're being spied on, but we don't really have those scenes. Yeah. And, and so it, it's just this like hoorah movie, which is fine, but it does, it, it brings it down a couple of notches from what could have been like a masterpiece like Spotlight or, cause that's the thing. Spotlight has those moments where the, the tension is so there, like Ruffalo's breakdown sequence and things Dude. like, like there, those moments are so hard hitting and it's, this is missing that it just doesn't get there. Um, it's a genre which has got so many great films in it that you're yeah. punching to try and you know okay you shouldn't release a film to compare or to beat something else you know critically whatever but the the, the the bar has been set so high by these other fabulous films and i mean she said could have been as good as it's just something holding maybe maybe we're still too close to the story maybe we need it a few more years removed would it have changed anything would they still have been able to add any because you don't want to see them you know making stuff up and taking away from the story here but then is there enough of a story to adapt in this particular um screenplay now i think there are other stories which or they could have combined this with pharaoh's story and they could have um created for possibly a more rounded film but I understand mm-hmm. why they, I totally understand why um, Maria Schrader wanted to keep the focus here on uh, Megan and Jody's story. This is, like you said, this is an, a film of empowerment. This is how these two female journalists brought down one of the most powerful men in film history. Uh, I guess, you know, throwing in Ronan Farrow in there with his baggage could have taken away from actually how important these two women are in bringing him down. You know, they are, they are the, the crux they are the fulcrum of this whole operation um yeah but as a film you know i'm talking as a guy who likes film as a guy who has seen other examples of films like this where they've for me they've got the balance right 
I think they could have introduced elements of you know, other people's viewpoints from this without taking yeah. away the spotlight uh, from Megan and Jodie's story. And I'm with you. I think Carrie Mulligan is very, very good. I think Zoe Kazan is very good so, too, but Carrie Mulligan is just, you know, she's very good in everything at the minute. She's crushing yeah. it. To end this, uh, Esther Zuckerman was the name that I couldn't pull. I'm going to, this is the final paragraph in Esther's uh, review. Yes, sir. Uh, we're left with a film that is both disjointed and somewhat unfinished, telling a saga of corruption that is still unfolding. Hollywood turned a blind eye to Weinstein's crimes and women suffering for decades until journalists like Toei and Cantor forced people to take notice. Assuming best intentions, she said is an act of accountability, but it's a messy one that, that still can't sift through all the muck Weinstein left in his wake. And I think that is a really good kind of synopsis of what's, what maybe is missing from this movie compared to some of those others is it's, like like you just alluded to, this might be just a little too early to tell this story, um, especially because it was a hashtag. You know, like this became yeah. a, a social media movement, which means a lot of people were involved and aware of it. And that's not always the case with journalism. Sometimes you don't know the behind the scenes story. Like, I, I mean, to be fair, I didn't know much about Megan or Jody, and Truth, I still yeah. don't feel like I do. And that's, I think, part of the problem is like, if we're telling their story about how they did this, this movie doesn't do a great job at that. If it's just informing us about the story itself, the movie doesn't need to do that because we are from the generation that lived this. And so it's that kind of uh, straddling that I think it struggles with. Um, I still, like you said, yeah, it's not bad. It's just not, uh, it doesn't live up to the expectations that I think a movie like this should, uh, as far as its importance, its weight, um, any, we should walk out feeling honestly devastated. I thought I was going to be walking out of this movie so crushed, so devastated. And yet, thank goodness, you know, like this relief that thank goodness journalists exist. Cause that's what happened when you watch spotlight, you're horrified at what you learned happened, but grateful that people like the journalists involved made it made us aware of it so it hopefully stops and yeah. that's still here oh yeah oh dude they spend a lot of time the on the on the process here which yeah I, which i i again for a positive i i really did like that um decisions for them to really show how much work had to go into this you know there, there wasn't yeah in in not deviating to their personal lives or to other people's viewpoints it did ensure that as an audience, if we didn't necessarily find out more about the people involved, at least we could see the absolute depth that people needed to go to and the kind of emotional barriers that needed to be jumped over in order to get just like, just like to move one or two steps forward, let alone to the end. So they really did, you know, hammer home the journalistic uh, approach that these two uh, ladies took. Um, But yeah, like you, I think, there was an expectation maybe that's on us but there's an expectation that we were going to get something more and i I was left feeling like i said up top i was left feeling with the what is the point of this film uh kind of feeling afterwards where it was just it was just a uh, you know it's just a dramatic retelling of what we already know there was it was it's nothing new that i haven't read and that's what i wanted more from you know i wanted I wanted the visual medium to show me more and, you know, really kind of push home just how monumental this uh, achievement was, you know, this uncovering this movement culturally 
he uh, was and is. But um, the but the but the, for the the kind of the other takeaway, JB, is it isn't a bad film. So we're not sitting here mm-hmm. saying, "My God, yes. what a missed opportunity!" It's a good film. It's a very solid film. Like you said, three three out of five, three and a half out of five, maybe. Yep. Um, yep and we're kind of all we're doing here is begrudging or kind of bemoaning the fact that do you know what this could have been this could have been su- superb sensational in fact but a few things here and there are missing but i think i think it's safe to say we're both you know we're both up on the film john yeah definitely more positive than negative but i think there's just the negatives are very clear in this yeah. case where like we can see what's missing or what why it didn't hit the five stars that we were hoping for yes this was on my uh, 10 most anticipated list in the last half of 2022 and didn't didn't disappoint it didn't disappoint because i enjoyed it but it didn't hit me as i hoped it would do but go check it out uh, she said only available in theaters currently go check it out go and support cinema uh, let's move on now jb to our next segment which we call chuffed headlines here we both take a movie or pop culture headline that caught our attention and we share it with you guys and we share it with each other so john what have you gone for this week so I went uh, with the Spirit Awards because, well, um, my mm-hmm. favorite movie of the year as of the moment um, is uh, got eight nominations, and I'm excited to see that because I'm really hoping we don't forget about it come Oscar season. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once um, pulled eight nominations uh, at the Indie Spirit Awards, which it's a it's a awards that you expect a movie like that to get. Yeah. all the awards for because yeah. it is a very indie film that doesn't feel like an indie film when you watch it um and uh yet i really really hope this is just a precursor for what will become a really cool oscar season um at the very least i want a best best actress for michelle yo and i want um yes best picture. best picture i i'm curious though i don't like the daniels are a <laughs> team and I'm sure that somewhere, like, because the Coens are usually, like, a team, but uh, often I think Joel is listed as the director and Ethan is the writer. Um, mm-hmm. if, if the Daniels are nominated for Best Director, will it just read The Daniels? I thought this as well, John, um, because Spirit. I'm hoping to be able to put, get, get, um, be involved with the Spirit Awards in terms of vo- the final voting. Um, and I'd wondered that as well, because, you know, it's plural, it's Daniels. And I know they obviously yes. have actual names and uh, they're credited in the cast. But the, in, the, in the, the article, sorry. You know, go for it. Uh, uh, but the article uh, for IndieWire has them listed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel uh, yeah, Shiner. There you go. Yes, yeah. Yeah, sh- um, Shiner's for- in the closing credits. They're, they're listed, obviously, as and the producers as what. So I, th- I think they'd be, they, maybe they'll have, you know, their names and then in parenthesis, it will say Daniels. But yeah, I think it would be a. I think they fight if they were going to be nominated. I think they'd do whatever they could to make it work. I am excited to see. I didn't, I haven't looked at the whole list, but Mia Goth is nominated for best lead performance for Pearl. Um, which I'm like, yes, except she's up against Michelle Yeoh, which I'm, I'm like very torn there. Very different types of performance, but man, Mia's performance in Pearl is one of my favorite monologues. I think ever it is so, insane like it's just such a performance um i i can't imagine it not being nominated so i i know it's unlikely to get an oscar nom i'm excited to see that it's here so you know this awards don't mean anything obviously in the big picture mm-hmm. things but when you love something or when a movie moves you you want to see other people acknowledging its existence and so yeah. uh 
indie spirit is a big one, but the the one obviously we all want our stuff to be is Oscars. But we're at that award season time of year. So like yes. kind of seeing what's what's getting recognition, what's been forgotten, because again, everything everywhere coming out like in March or, or April, uh, I think. Ariana, yeah. Yeah. So like it that it's not forgotten is huge. Um and uh, yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see uh what you know what it walks away with. I hope it wins a lot. I'm very, very torn about Mia Gotham. Like I really think I want her to win. Um I just I know I know she's okay. It would be you know, unlikely. Like, yeah for her to get an Oscar nomination, especially when Tony Collette didn't win for hereditary, which I still Unless think is one of the biggest from their mistakes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and again, we, we do have new Academy members, so it's possible that maybe horror is starting to get acknowledged, but let's be real. Probably not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I am, uh, I am excited to see this again. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, I, I'm not going to read through all of the, the nominations or anything like that, mm. but it's, that was what caught my eyes. Like, Oh, the spirit awards uh, came out. So, or yeah, no, I, um, oh, no, I, I did see them. And, uh, a notice of no to notable, um, missing name in best lead performance is Brendan Fraser for the whale. He's not on the list for best lead performance mm. and is, by far the front runner for the Oscar. And like, like you said, it's, you know, this is, this is a awards. We said it as well, you know, awards mean many things to many people. Some people don't care. We love them. The Bampies are the number one people strive for a Bampy at the end of the year. I love this yes. time of the season, man, because it, it, you know, it's just film fans talking, hopefully passionately and, and like practically about films. I don't like it when it becomes versus, you know, it's like moonlight versus Lala. Just like everything. <laughs> Just enjoy everything. Uh, not stop pitting things against each other. That's my only problem with uh, award season is social media tends to uh, start wars and it, it's, a bit, it's a bit silly. But um, seeing Mia Goth on there, that's fantastic. I really hope they have learned from their mistakes. Like you said, not nominating Tony Collette was an absolute shambles. Uh, I'd love to see Mia Goth at least get a nomination, but then I also want Michelle Yeoh to win because I think she's I think she's splendid and she runs the gamut of every emotion in everything everywhere. Uh, some other great names on the list just for best lead performance: um, Aubrey Plaza from Emily the Criminal. It's great to see a- Andrea Riseborough getting a nom as well, and Regina Hall for Honk for Jesus Save Your Soul, which we covered uh, a few weeks back on on the episode. So that's that's surprising yet. You know, intriguing to see Regina Hall's name on the list, but um, you yeah, know, it's, it's it's a nice kind of precursor to the awards seasons really ramping up now. But dude, you know, I'm, well, I'm here. I'm here for all this. One thing that's interesting too is uh, I didn't know. I, I've not paid a lot of attention to the Spirit Awards. I like I usually just catch you one, but like they have best lead performance, not best male, best female. Yes, um, and in the best yeah. lead performance, there's only two male actors. Uh, mm-hmm. that I see it, uh, Paul Mescal from after sun and Jeremy Pope from the inspection, um, which I want to see. I missed a screening of the inspection this weekend, but everyone else, uh, is an actress. So, um, no offense to Brendan Fraser, but like, that's an interesting kind of, uh, take there. Um, yeah, and, then- and I wouldn't put much stock in it as well. Cause I mean, the article says, uh, and I, I sorry, but you've, you've seen uh, people like Jake Gyllenhaal, he wasn't nominated at the spirit awards, but he didn't do too bad for Brokeback mountain or he's got some recognition for it. Uh, so there's been there's been many other um, examples where if the whale out. just didn't meet the timetable or something like that because it it's or not criteria, anything. 
Like it's yeah, not that, that's nothing to not get nominated for anything. But um, I don't know if there's. I need to look more look into the Spirit Awards a little bit more. But um, uh, there may be some criteria again. I'm in this in a group I'm part of, one of the critic groups. They've been talking about it today in terms of voting, and I've seen a lot go, a lot being bandied around about budgets. You know, I think you may have to have underneath or a certain budget mm-hmm. to qualify for this. Uh, I haven't listed there's hundreds of messages. I haven't gone through them yet, but it may be, you know, you have to be in the spirit of independent films. You, your film's got to be made for under X amount. It seems like 30 million seems to be the number, but there ain't no way the way it will cost more than 30 million to make. It's an A24 film. So um, I don't know what the criteria is, or maybe, maybe it, it's just missed out and maybe we've overrated the chances, but Brendan Fraser is the, is the front runner. I still believe, I believe anyway, in terms of the, uh, the betting man, to win the Oscar. But like you said, John, it means many things to many people, but it's fun to at least start the discussion. I think. Yeah, I agree. That was, but that's what caught my eye. What about you? I'm sorry to do this to you again, John, uh, with my headline. It was originally going to be about ice cube. He turned down a $9 million contract to star in a Sony film with Jack black because he, he wouldn't get the jab and he told Hollywood to go and F themselves because he didn't want a jab. I was like, well, I don't want to talk about idiots on this on this show. So instead, I'm going to talk about Quentin Tarantino saying Marvel actors are not movie stars, John. Oh, wow. We've had Martin Scorsese, Cameron, James Cameron, everybody under the sun bashes the Marvel films. And now it seems like everybody's favorite, um, everybody's favorite director, Quentin Tarantino, has now come out and spoken about it. This has been... Uh, quoted everywhere. This particular article is from Movie Web by a guy called Anthony Lund. And like I said, yeah, Quentin says uh, Marvel stars, they're not movie stars. In he was speaking to uh, on on Tom Segura's podcast, and he's speaking about the Marvelization of Hollywood and how the the uh, the actors aren't the stars, but the characters are. John, um, in terms of what he actually said, verbatim. Uh, Tarantino says part of the marvelization of Hollywood is you'll have all these actors who've become famous playing these characters, but they're not movie stars, right? Captain America is the star or Thor is the star. I mean, I'm not the first person to say that. I think that's been said a zillion times, you know, but it's like, you know, it's these franchise characters that have become a star. So Tarantino himself isn't necessarily, I mean, he did say earlier on in the year that, Marvel directors are just hired hands. He didn't want to be a hired hand for Marvel. Uh, that's not how he directs his films. He's been, he's dropped his opinion on the Marvelization of Hollywood previously. And he also dropped the bomb that after, uh, after Reservoir Dogs, but before Pulp Fiction, he was going to uh, potentially helm an adaptation of Luke Cage, which is obviously a, marvel project which went to netflix i believe many 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 years later but um so tarantino is saying the the move people don't go to see the actors they go to see the movie stars and john i don't disagree entirely with tarantino here now i don't i don't know if if tarantino said this cynically or maliciously however my agreement with him isn't in a malicious or cynical way because you know robert downey jr people go people went to see rdj as iron man I mean that's not that that's not for up for debate, but um, mm-hmm. you know with Thor and with um, Chris Pratt as Star Lord and um, even Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, maybe people know, a lot of the time people also went to see their their heroes from the comic books be portrayed on the screen, and 
People were excited for the new Captain America film. People were excited for Avengers Infinity War and Endgame for good reason, because it was a team up of their favourite heroes. It wasn't because, oh my God, we've got Chris Pratt, we've got Dave Batista, Scarlett Johansson, we've got uh, Paul Rudd, RDJ, uh, Zoe Batista, Vindy, they're all Bradley Cooper, they're all together. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like a, a Knives Out situation where you're going to see the actors in this role. It was you're going to see the characters. Um, now, I don't mean that in a malicious way and, and saying that Marvel are doing anything wrong here because they're not, because every big franchise has that problem. Star Wars has it as well. I mean, people went to see The Force Awakens because they wanted they, they thought they were going to see Han, Luke and Leia. Of course, you want to see Mark, Carrie and Harrison, but you want to see, you want to see, you want to see the people you've grown up with. And I don't think that's a problem, to be honest, either. I, I'm not entirely sure the point that Tarantino is, is going for here, though, because... You know, Marvel films are based on previous IP. They're based on comic books of which people have grown up with for years and years and years. So what's the problem, John, with them wanting to go to the theatre and see their heroes on screen? You know, yeah, regardless of who's playing them, is it a bad thing that people just want to go and see Captain America and Thor? I I don't think so. Um, I don't necessarily think he's wrong either. Mm -hmm. Uh you know, there's been arguments that Tom Cruise is like the last real movie star or Will Smith is one of the last real movie stars. Um, and obviously when we say that, we're referring to the idea of star driven uh, box office, right? Like you put their name above the title and people come to the theater. Um, and there's plenty of evidence to say that the, a lot of the Marvel actors don't do that. And even as great as Robert Downey Jr. is, and I would say it felt like a movie star, he he's not. Uh, not outside of that, no look at outside of all the Marvel movies, his movies have done trash numbers across <laughs> the board. Yes, um, I have. And some, some have been fine. Like I liked the first Sherlock Holmes movie uh, in all of its guy richiness. Um, yes. But it, it didn't do great in the box office. And Iron Man only did great because of, well, I don't know. That's the mystery, isn't it? Because Iron Man is not a popular character. He was not in the way that it succeeded. Um, it's not Batman. It's not Superman. It's not Flash. These characters have built-in things. A lot of the Marvel characters that have done well have no fan following. Guardians being one of the biggest, yeah. right? And it's it wasn't Pratt that brought people to the theater, and it wasn't Cooper because Cooper's a raccoon in that. Um, mm-hmm. Even though Cooper sure. is, I think you could maybe argue he's more of a, a a superstar, a movie star than some of the other Marvel names. Um, Scarjo, same thing though. Like we look, she's a tremendous actress. Critics, we we adore her indie stuff, but her name doesn't bring people in. Like the few movies that she's led outside of Marvel have not done very well in comparison. And mm-hmm. the movies that have Most done well, it's not inherent, not box office, right? Ways. It's not inherently because of them. Um, yeah. But I think that's a shift in the the environment more so than it is a criticism to the actors. Um, yeah. Hollywood one is IP focused, right? Like they want properties. That's what they feel puts butts in seats. Mm-hmm. And it currently is, uh, it used to be, Oh, it's a new Humphrey Bogart movie. Let's go see it. It didn't matter what movie it was because we were there for, for him. And you see that with stunt casting. Now, Harry styles being the, the current big Ugh. one, right? Where his fans came in droves when he was cast in something. Um, but you don't see that same, uh, reaction. Now, Again, I think some of us, uh, I, I am an actor-driven 
per I'm a I'm a fan of things. And if I'm a fan of it or a the person, whether it's the director or the actor, I'm in the theater because of that. Yeah, same. But that doesn't mean that's I think there's plenty of evidence to say otherwise, right? Because a great example of a movie that doesn't make sense that it did the numbers that it did is Avatar because its mm-hmm. lead actor is arguably one of the blandest, most vanilla generic Sam actors Worthington. working. People didn't go to see him. People no. didn't go for a pre-existing IP for that either, but people went. And maybe that's the thing. There isn't a guarantee in any of these things. You know, there are trends and there are patterns, but there are plenty of anomalies to make us go, huh, why did that work? Terrifier 2 is a great example. Yeah. Why did that movie make money? Because it's it's not only a horror movie, it is a horror movie that revels in its awfulness <laughs> that most people wouldn't want to see. And yet it made $10 million, which, yeah, on a scale of a big box office is nothing. But for the movie that it was, it How shouldn't it have made too. $10 million. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. And we've seen other examples where movies, we expect them to do gangbusters. We th- I thought Elvis would do much better at the box office mm-hmm. than it did. Yeah. It didn't do bad. But it's Elvis. It's Elvis Presley, one of the most beloved. People still think he's alive. Like, at this point, <laughs> no. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like He's top now, yeah. Yeah, he's, it's very long now. Like, it's, uh, it's much more unlikely he's still alive. But there are still people who think he's still alive. It's like, you do realize he'd be aging, though, right? Like, even if he lied about his death back in the 70s, he'd be pretty freaking old now. Like, and yet, they didn't go see it in, in the numbers that we expected or anticipated. Um yeah, no. it's hard to tell uh, and the thing with with me like my knee-jerk reaction when i saw your headline was to get mad because he he yeah. must have said a lot of crap on that same podcast because i also saw um him claim that the era of film is bad like we're in the a bad era, era of movies yeah. and i'm like can you look at this year alone and say that yeah. and like there's Some so the many great movies years have been great i mean Maybe he, maybe I don't know if that's what brought him to talk, talk about the marvelization and stuff, but this is nothing new since 1977. Pretty much when Star Wars broke, yeah. there has been you know, the block, the block. I mean, it wasn't the first blockbuster, you got to look at Jaws or The Exorcist for that, but that's when we started to get series and franchises and and you know, sequels of greater focus on them, and that then led to exploring new avenues in terms like comic book film or superhero films or uh or, or certain genre films trying to um make a splash and every genre seems to have had its time in the sun it's i don't quite know why this would be the worst era for film and now filmmaking yeah, no i don't know about that because you know if anything he's got even more tools to make his film like he yeah. always did but he's got even more tools and even more scope to do so and act and, and and directors who want to use stagecraft volume or green screen can do that if you can afford good cgi artists you can make anything happen nowadays it doesn't mean you can't it doesn't mean we're suddenly not getting great you know human stories or or or, or more personal stories and you've seen a few recently we're still getting excellent films the only problem is the only difference is now we're getting so many that it's very easy to either to miss some or to lose yes. track of or good films nowadays I I often think, you know, what does it take for a film to become a classic now? Because you could release the best film of all time tomorrow, and then it's and then it may be not forgotten about, but it may be sort of brushed aside in three or four weeks later because you get by then you've seen five or six other great films, 
mm-hmm. and you don't really have time to miss films or time to really ruminate on something because you're so busy trying to catch up, John. So we're in a golden yeah. age in terms of content. But with that, obviously with the onslaught, there's going to be a lot that isn't very good, but it doesn't right. mean we're in the worst period to me. There's probably more bad films this year, like by comparison, but there's just more films yeah. by comparison. Movies are being pumped out at a rate that was impossible before yeah. because anybody can now produce a full film. I mean, like if we wanted to, we could film a bunch of stuff on our phone, edit it together, put it up on YouTube. And now a movie exists. And if it happens to get entered into a festival and then picked up for distribution, or like, you know, cause there are so many distributors too. Like Netflix has like, there are movies on Netflix that you're just like, why did someone distribute this even? Why is this available on this scale? And so when you consider that, he's probably right. There's probably way more films out there. And thus it might feel like there's a lot of bad, but I think if you were to like, how many good films came out in 1965 versus how many good films came out this year, I bet you those numbers are very, very similar. Yeah, um, you're spot on. But I, I I don't have the math to do it, but it's something I think we could quantify if we were inclined to. And I, I, you know, I do feel like some filmmakers maybe need to get their heads out of their butt a little bit. Like the one thing, cause it's, it's Marvel. And we've talked about this multiple times with like Scorsese <laughs> dissing Marvel, Spielberg's diss Marvel. And it's like the, the movie brats, the Scorsese, Spielberg, Lucas, they all cite like John Ford and Westerns as yep. some of the movies that inspired them in the Western is today's superhero genre film. So like absolutely in 20 years, the new filmmakers, assuming that we still have the luxury of cinema in 20 years, they will be citing Marvel films as the thing that inspired them to make movies. There was some kid watching Avengers for the first time at like age seven that they said, I want to make this, I want to make this movie and to discredit and almost forget your own roots in that process. Like genre films have never been respected and yet most of us grow up loving genre films and that's, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know it's why there's this like, it is. And I don't understand it because it's not easy to make any film. And because anybody know, can be the new Tarantino now. And I don't, I don't know whether it's a envy or not jealousy. Maybe it is a little bit, but you know, when Tarantino came, he was a fresh new kid on the block. You know, he's, you know, film school, or self-taught, whatever, you know, he's, he did it, you know, quite unquote the right way. He'd probably see it. Whereas now, like you say, because anybody can make a film, it's a bit like social media. Everybody's got a voice. Everyone's a critic. Everyone's a director. Like you say, hell, we could make Bamp the movie next week. If we wanted to, we I'd film my bits here. You do yours there. We splice them together. We've got a film, but I don't, like you say, you shouldn't discredit people that if anything, that's a, that's a beautiful thing that, everybody now who even those we're talking about things like she said even those who have been marginalized who haven't had a voice or the opportunity now have that they may not have the resources of tarantino but they've got the opportunity the big difference is for years there were gatekeepers who would stop someone from making a movie yep because they they wouldn't fund them or they wouldn't hire them and that is bad like i i love the idea that anyone gets to now make the movie at the same time though that does dilute the world because some gatekeepers weren't gatekeeping with a negative mindset, right? They weren't like keeping out certain voices or they weren't discriminating or uh, limiting what was being told, what types of stories were being told, but they were limiting it to talent. And now you don't need talent to make a movie. You just need a phone. And Mm. that means that you're going to get worse stuff potentially because, you know, 
And like, to be honest, we're podcasting. No one asked us to podcast. We met no qualifications yeah. in order to podcast. And same thing. Our podcast might not be any good. It, I hope it is. And if you're listening to this, I please don't stop yeah, listening. Thank you. Um, but, but the point is, you know, maybe we're the worst of who does this and no one stopped us. And, and that's the case now with movies. And for years, that was not the case, right? Like you couldn't make movies almost unless you either had money because yep. you needed resources. Like film is not cheap. That's something, uh, there's a lot mm-hmm. of movies about making movies that showcase how hard it would have been. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have those indie uh, gems like Tarantino is a part of um, where you have, you know, uh, De- uh, El Mariachi and Clerks where oh, you're getting these very, very low budget uh, movies turning around and making a huge profit that changed the game. Uh, it opened up the opportunity uh, for more people, but now, you know, uh, I would say Sean Baker and the Florida project being the six, not the Florida project, I'm sorry, Tangerine uh, mm-hmm. being the success that it was. Um, as well, what he's been doing. Yes. And that he, he like backpedaled on the process almost like he didn't need to do that, but chose to do that. Um, and it, it opened up the door for anybody now to do it. And that's great. And in some ways, it's not great. The thing is, even if I happen to catch a really, really bad movie by someone who has no business doing it, but, you know, did, okay, I can move on. But at least that person got to try. They got to explore something. And, you know, that's, I think, maybe the next phase is some people are going to have to start accepting that you, you, we are anyone, literally anyone can now tell their story. And some of those stories we may not want to hear, and some of those stories maybe shouldn't be shared. But at the same time, I like the idea that there are a lot of movies that probably should have been made that we never got to see because someone in power refused to to acknowledge it being worth our time. Yeah, that's it. And it comes down to the studios or distributors, John. Quality control must never go away. Everyone can have their voice, but... There still needs to be the there still needs to be that QA going on, quality and assurance and control, to make sure that you, you, the things that are put, being put in front of us you know, are, are of a decent quality. If you're talking about uh, big studios and cinematic releases, or even on streaming, you know, everywhere everyone has their barometer of quality. As long as long as we don't lose that, I don't really I really don't see the problem. So um, I think Tarantino is being a bit daft of his comments. But if someone if someone's listened to the uh, Tom Segura podcast and, and can tell us that no he was you know he was jesting that a bit you know he was kind of talking saying it with a smile on his face then great let us know but it just seems to be it just seems to be an easy stick to beat somebody with whether you like Marvel or not it's getting a bit boring now just hearing that you know Marvel which is doing its best at times to keep people going to the cinema is apparently now the worst thing that's ever happened to film JB and. Yeah, just just leave it now. Let, let just focus on films or your new series, Tarantino. Or you know, James Cameron. Focus on making two billion dollars just to make your Avatar sequel break even. You fool. Um, yeah. That being said, though, JB, let's move on now to uh, our next segment. Then uh, it's called media consumption. What do we do? We talk about all of the media we've consumed in the last week. So movies, TV series, video games, music, podcasts, which aren't ours. Whatever we've used to pass the time since the last episode, we're recording a little bit earlier this week, JB. So we've had two days less to consume. But what have you been checking out? Well, I had to wait uh, two days to finally listen to the new episode of the Blank Check podcast because they covered Fablemans, and yeah. that's not playing anywhere really. And I, I didn't want to listen to it. I'm glad I didn't because there was a lot of spoilers in the episode. Um, 
but uh, I I went to see the Fablemans uh, at a, a press screening, but it was more like it wasn't just a press screening. It was like a pre early screening. There was other members who got passes for different events or whatever. Um, but I got to see that. So I listened to the blank check episode this morning. It's a really good episode. I will happy to say that Griffin, David, and I on the same page about Spielberg's new mm-hmm. film. We all big, big fans. Um, uh, I know you're not going to get to see the Fablemans till like next year, right? It's, it's, it's coming out. Uh, in 20, it's a 2023 release, but um, as as you're going to be hearing an, an awful lot, JB, if either via the critic circles I'm in, or just by my my British charm in the emails, I shall be begging for review consideration copies. Yeah. So, listeners, we we aren't going to probably do an episode on this incredible movie because the release dates are so different for the two of us. Unless um, I can but, work magic, right? But I. I for me, uh, I'm a big Spielberg fan. I, I've studied Spielberg. I've taught Spielberg. I I, uh, I haven't seen all of his movies. Um, I've got four mm-hmm. left, and two of which I don't know if I'll ever actually bother to watch um, for different reasons. Uh, sorry, Warhorse. Um, and ah. um, you know that one. And uh, but I loved The Fablemans so so much. And the more I've sat with it, the more I've loved it. I can't wait to see it again. Um, it, it's it feels so personal and I'm so interested in him that that alone was like, it felt like sitting down to a conversation and him telling me about his, his upbringing and how he fell in love with movies and, and other things. So, cause it's not all praise to cinema, mind you, like it, it is very much a personal story and I adore it. So I, I highly recommend checking out the blank check episode is really good. But again, I wouldn't listen to it unless you've seen the movie because uh, they do. It's, it's kind of impossible not to talk about, a lot of the plot stuff um and the, the format of the show they don't usually avoid spoilers anyways but um it's it's a good episode uh other things i've watched this week though because I'm, I'm trying to get through my uh for your consideration content um caught eo it's a polish film about a donkey um <laughs> not a horse it's a, not a horse apparently donkey movies not as bad i enjoy very much um at least eo uh and banshees of Isherin. um yeah got you but uh, EO, uh, there's some, there's a lot of cool sequences that are like shot with uh, red and black lighting, and uh, it totally reminded me of the Batman. So I need someone out there who has more time than I do to mm-hmm. edit together a like Batman esque trailer for EO with the something in the way song playing, and just use the red and black stuff. But I just feel like it would be epic. Maybe put Robert Pattinson's voiceover as the donkey. <laughs> um, Vengeance. I think it could work is all I'm saying. Um, uh, uh, the blank check show is about to do uh, Her- um, Henry Selleck. Uh, and I've seen Nightmare for Christmas and Coraline, but I have not seen James and the Giant Peach or uh, Monkey Bone. And I uh, just uh, his new film that's on Netflix, Wendell and Wild. Um, but I have now seen James and the Giant Peach and Wendell and Wild. Um, I was very surprised to find out that James and the Giant Peach was not just animated. Uh nope. I, I had said, I think on last episode that monkey bone was his only non-animated film, which I think still has like a hybrid animation element to it. Uh, James and giant peach. I was before that. And I was very wrong. There's that like a good two thirds of that movie is live action. Um, creepy, very unnerving live action. I would say even um, <laughs> I, I was, I did not have, I mean, I should have known because it was raw doll that it was not going to be like a straightforward animated film, but I had a very wrong perception of what James and the giant peach was going to be when I went into it. Um, I, I don't know that I liked it necessarily, uh, but I mean, obviously I appreciate the, what it is. Um, 
but it was much darker than I was g- going into uh, thinking. I was just like, yeah, yeah, it's some kid finds a peach, travels in a peach, got it. Like, oh nope. no, this is this this story is dark as heck. Um, call me by your name. Uh, yeah. Oh. Oh no. Um. <laughs> don't. Not that's. He, he would love that peach. Um. Thanks. Uh, Wendell and Wild. Um, has a really cool cast. Jordan Peele and Keegan Michael Key are in it, so it's like a reuniting of those two guys. Um, some other uh, familiar names. Uh, animations. Some of the 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 character design isn't my favorite that I've seen of his movies. Like there's like, you can see kind of the seams of the claymation on some of the characters, mm-hmm. um, which was an interesting choice, but it was like, you know, another though, uh, clearly uh, his subject matter is very dark uh, in general, um, which is a theme throughout all his films that I, I, I had not seen enough to realize, but I, I was very surprised at of me. Like um, Wendell and wild claymation, butthole is a thing. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but I have the Henry Selick one, isn't it? I haven't no. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's good though. Um, I also <laughs> caught Emily, the criminal. Um, Ooh, I liked that film. I, I liked it very much. Aubrey Plaza is a powerhouse in that film. Um, a documentary called retrograde, which is about, uh, America leaving Afghanistan. Um, surprisingly candid like we there are moments where you feel like are we allowed to know this like this feels like we shouldn't be in the room and we're in the room uh witnessing uh that process and how wild it is um a horror thriller called piggy a -hmm. spanish film um uh, i had tried to see this back at uh i think fantasia um and i had uh got an email that i would get a link never got the link never excellent never got it um, so I was just like, okay, fine. And then I got it for the, for your consideration from Magnolia, I believe. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll get to it. And then Emily V. Gordon, uh, Kamel Nanjani's wife posted on Instagram last week that she watched it and really liked it. I was like, okay, Emily, I think I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to dive in here. Look, uh, man, it's, whoa, it's real good. Um, I, oh, I, I was just kind that. of floored at some of it. Uh, the premise is very compelling and it is. It's really well made. This the storytelling and it's solid. Um, and lastly, a movie that you also saw this week, The Menu. Yes, um, Anya Taylor Joy uh, is so freaking good in everything, anyways. But she's so good in this, and also Ray Fiennes as yeah, phenomenal. Uh, Nicholas Holt, yeah, not not given enough credit for what he can bring to a movie. Like he is, I I have to say too, like. At this point, it feels like he could be a little bit like I need to be in the front. Like at this point, I should be the lead. But man, yeah. he's so he seems to be so comfortable filling in wherever he needs to fit in, and he's always so good. And I thought he was really great in this. Uh, honestly, the like there's not a weak member of the cast. Um, the movie's darkly funny. I think there's so many ways to interpret it. Um, I, I had a blast with the menu. Uh, what did you think of that one? Um, I, I like the menu too, John. And like you say, Anya Taylor-Joy continues to just leave excellent or at least very excellent performances in her wake. Ray finds he's always good. Like I said, he's delicious in this film. He's all, he always brings it. He's an, it, it's not a hot take or even an unknown thing to say that he's a stunningly good actor. <laughs> Ray finds is such a good actor and it's good to see him flexing his, you know, his, He's a bad guy chops a little bit. Uh, it's nice to see another film about food after Peter Strickland's Flux Gourmet this year as well. This is a oh, different yeah. film in that mind. But um, no, I liked exactly. it. I, I was worried it was going to be a bit throwaway 
just because of the kind of lack of marketing or hype in the build-up. But I'm pleasantly surprised by the mini, John. I thought it was pretty damn good. Um, I haven't watched this as much this, this week for uh, two reasons. One, that my daughter wasn't very well this weekend, just a cold, but she's only six, so uh, got to be on hand 24-7 to make sure she's okay. So I didn't have as much time to watch anything. Plus, we're recording a few days early, John. Um, so I, I've been listening to the Double Toasted podcast. I'm enjoying that. It's also on YouTube. It is um, ostensibly two black guys who are just talking about films, they're film reviewers, and also kind of life experiences, and pop culture in the most irreverent fun way uh, very much enjoying sitting down listening to that on my commute to work um and i've been listening to nightmare and film street and the dead meat podcast the usuals as well and in terms of films yeah i watched the menu which i enjoyed uh, i watched spirited the apple tv original with will ferrell and ryan reynolds uh the sort of new take on a christmas carol and I thought it was okay. I thought it was not bad. I like Ryan Reynolds' stick for the most part. Will Ferrell is, I'm very up and down on. I think he can be very good, but then he'll do something like Holmes and Watson and a few other things he's done in recent years, which I just don't think are very good. Um, but, you know, they work well together. And the film itself is, it's, it's Christmas fluff. And I love me Christmas movies and I love me some Christmas. But this, you know, it, it, at times it tries a bit too hard to, with with the gags or to try almost like the improv style gags for me. And it's good. It's fine. It's, it's perfectly serviceable. But there are better Christmas films out there in recent years and probably coming out this year as well. But if you want if you want an hour and a half or so, bit of fun with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell, Spirited will certainly give you a, a, a good time. And there are enough laughs in there to sustain it. And uh, I also watched Armageddon Time. Remind me, John, I'm, I don't think you were a fan of this, were you? Nope. Nope. Didn't like it at all. Specifically, no offense to the kid, but the kid did not work for me. There we go. I, I, I went in there thinking I'm pretty sure this was a film that um, JB wasn't a fan of. And um, I, I don't think I had was as negative per se as it on it as yourself, but I don't think it was particularly great, mind. Um it was so so. I think it's. I think I actually think it's doing fairly well in terms of how well it's been received critically. Yeah. But you know, it's it, it, it for me. It's the classic. It's fine. It's fine. You know, it, it does what it needs to do. Some parts of it I enjoyed. Most elements I didn't think were great. It's not a film I'm going to remember by the time we get to the next episode, John. I don't think, but you know that it, it is. It is what it is. Uh, I didn't mind it. So this week, I've only been able to see a few things. And because we're recording a day early, I haven't been able to watch the Andor finale, series season finale. It comes out the day after we record. So in about 12 hours, I'll be sitting down to watch it. Very excited. But I'll mention that more on next week's episode. So um, pretty lean week this week, JB. But I know that uh, for me, I know I'm working this weekend, so I'm going to be at home. And whilst I work, I like to put some films on in the background. So... I'm going to be catching up on some of the films that I need to watch. I'm going to watch After Sun finally, and I won't spoil it on the show for the listeners, but there's a lot hanging on me watching that film. <laughs> there's a lot hanging that's been going off air on the WhatsApp uh, messages, mm-hmm. but uh, I'll be on that for next week, JB. But that's what we've been consuming this week. Uh, pre- pretty bloody awesome, if you ask me, but that's not all we have to do to stay bloody awesome, John. No, no. We have to do 
a few more things to stay bloody awesome to make sure that this show is as good as it can be each week for those who are listening jb what you've been doing to say bloody awesome this week um i simply have the word swag and i don't you mean do. that i have it uh, i received do. it and uh it is uh so for years uh that we've i've been doing this and and reviews and stuff i've watched other reviewers get these big cool boxes of of stuff for movies that they were like asked to promote or to like hey consider this and last year i got a lot of physical screeners for the first time after joining the critics association of central florida um and today literally just an hour or two before um we recorded i i had i had a ups notification I, i was expecting it to be like um more screeners and it was a screener but I got a Pinocchio uh, box set, which if you follow me on Instagram, which we'll talk about momentarily, you might have seen. Um, and in it uh, was a screener of the film, uh, two screening CDs, which I've not received before, but two, uh, for best original song and best score uh, consideration. So I thought it was cool that I got CDs of those. Um, I mean, I haven't had a physical CD in a long time for any music, to be honest. Uh um, and then uh, a pop vinyl, which I love. I love pop vinyls anyway, so I was excited to uh, get a-, a Pinocchio one. Um, I don't know if I said the movie for Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, not for the Zemeckis Pinocchio. Oh, and um, uh, ho- Italian hot chocolate, which I did notice the instructions to make it are also in Italian, so that might. I'm be learning a Italian, John. Um, oh, I will just send you a picture, sir. Uh, you can help translate. <laughs> hey, but then the coolest part of the box, aside from all those things, is this book. Uh, if you know Del Toro uh, is very methodical when he's making a movie, he keeps a, a book where his mm-hmm. sketches and um, it's not his book, but it is this book with all of these. Uh, there are sketches in it. There are, you know, the behind the scenes interviews. It's, it's just like I haven't priced it, but I've seen books like this of other movies and they're never cheap. They're always really cool. And I'm always like, that would be awesome to own but I can't justify the spending kind of thing. And so to get one given to me is really cool. I'm very grateful. I will say I, I feel confident that I can watch this movie and still judge it based on my opinion of the movie and not because I got a cool swag box, but it was very cool to get a cool swag box of something like uh, that. Um, because, you know, uh, it, it, we've I put a lot of work. It, it, right. Exactly that, that it is. We don't make money really doing this um i do it for the love of film and the love of uh building community with film so getting little like getting to see movies for free has always been a a cool perk um and now getting stuff like this uh is it it feels like i've hit that next level and it's really cool um and especially i like being able to show it to my students that you know nobody asked me to do this i decided i wanted to do it and i've put the work in and i've i've done the research and i've i've dug in and while, you know, it'd be nice to make a living doing this where I could yes. you know, only do this. It's also, it's really cool to get free stuff. Let's be honest. Like it, it is, it just is. You're right. Especially stuff that maybe you wouldn't buy yourself, but like you would totally take if someone gave it to you. So it, it's pretty awesome. Especially it doesn't hurt that it's coming up during the holiday season where it's like, this is a Christmas present from Netflix themselves to me. Uh, and maybe Del Toro too. Maybe he specifically said, please, this guy has he liked listens. my movie. Send him, send him my stuff. So yeah, um, that was what, that's how I've been saying bloody awesome. It's just appreciating the free uh, stuff that I've been given. I apparently have three packages coming tomorrow from, I, it could be screenings. It could be other. I have no idea. I'm excited to see what they are. Chocolate, John. 
It could be more hot chocolate. And, and you know, in Florida, we need that. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. John sent a message earlier on, and it, the you know the, the swag bag is the swag box is is sensational. It really is. And firstly, it's very well deserved. John's been working his backside off for years now. He's the best film teacher in the world, and it's pretty cool for your students to look at you and say. Yeah, this guy's cool. He gets stuff sent from Netflix and Del Toro. Um, but the first thing I zeroed in on was the hot chocolate. I think that's just me and my stomach thinking. I was like, damn, that looks good. Film great, book great, and everything else great. Hot chocolate, that's what I'm here for. But um, very well deserved, JB. And yes, it is nice. It is nice to get that recognition and something back for but for your efforts and for our efforts, it's um, it, on my side of the pond. It is always nice, but... Uh, you know, you know what me and John are like. We never take things for granted. We're we're very humble and appreciative of it. So very well deserved, JB. Um, mine is uh, my. I've been staying bloody awesome, John, by watching the World Cup. The World Cup is on now. The 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 biggest sporting event in the world, bar none, is on in a country of the worst human rights record I've ever known. But um, looking, trying to look past that. The uh, World Cup, JB, been watching watching Eng- England play. I watched the United States yesterday. We've got France versus Australia on at the minute. Man, there's four games and I'm watching it at work, working very hard and watching the World Cup. Um, but, but to your point as well, uh, I mentioned off air that there was a film I was supposed to see on Monday. I got the invite for, for, for Glass Onion for the London screening, the, the advanced screening, sorry, multimedia, whatever you want to call it, of Glass Onion. But it clashed with the England game. And I was like, oh, man, what do I do? I was like, well, Glass Onion comes out on Wednesday. Uh, sorry, so it, it, it comes out on Wednesday in the United Kingdom. So I'm going to see it on Thursday uh, in the UK. I'm going to go to one of the plush cinemas, one of the posh ones like JB, sit there with a beer, watch it and in a recliner and enjoy it there. Uh, because I remember saying last week, I think I might even said it on, on air, that I'm, I'm expecting to see the film pre-release. So over the weekend and... I, I, you know, I stood true to my word, except something got in the way. So I would have been able to, what I would have been able to give you my thoughts of Glass Onion. But you're gonna have to wait until next week. And John, though, mm. I'll tell him on Thursday what I think. Now that he didn't spoil the reveal for me last week, but um, no, uh, I love the World Cup. It's nice to have on in the background sometimes. It's a festival of football. Um, so I've been staying bloody awesome by indulging in in that in the background. But it's gonna have to take a back seat this weekend, John, because. Like you say, we've got a lot of films to catch up on, and especially for next week, my friend. Next week's film we're going to be speaking about is Devotion with um, Marvel star Jonathan Majors in. The Marvelization of Hollywood continues with uh, Jonathan Majors in Devotion. Really looking forward to seeing this film, John. Uh, pretty sure we'll have Me a spoiler too. episode out on that one as well. There won't be a spoiler episode for, she said, as we've mentioned. So if you're expecting that to drop, Unfortunately, it won't be because we've given all of our thoughts on the film this week. But yeah, next week, Devotion. Check it out if you want to hear what we think about it. If you want to let us know what you thought about the show, about Thanksgiving Turkey, or about She Said, you can find us on social media. John, we are on Twitter, at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. Where can everyone find us on Instagram? We're on Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. Yes, sir. Facebook, Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. If we ever join Hive, we'll try and get something which isn't quite as jarring as BAMP underscore podcast. We'll, we'll sort that one out. Um, if you want to find me online, you can do it at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and just search across all the socials and letterboxed for what I watch tonight and you'll see my face. Uh, John, where are you online? 
I'm at BurkeReviews.com and at BurkeReviews on all the social media platforms. Yes, go check out John and all the good work he does. And if you like what we're doing here, please do consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on your podcast provider of choice because it gets us up the algorithm, gets more listeners in. Plus, it's another way for us to hear from more film fans each and every week. But with that, as always, stay bloody awesome. And keep watching movies. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Blah, 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 blah.